Let's read together Judges chapter 15. In this chapter, we have more exploits of Samson, and we see how God used these exploits to reduce the power of the Philistines over Israel. Judges 15, beginning at verse 1. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. And therefore he called its name en Kohare which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Let's begin with some background notes. The time of Samson is near the end of the period of the judges. In fact, Samson's life overlaps with the prophet Samuel, who goes on to anoint King Saul, the first king of Israel. We see from verse 20 that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. These were not peaceful years because the Philistines were a very powerful enemy 
over Israel at that time. In fact, the Philistines were so strong that most of Israel was content to live with the status quo and not rise up and fight. Even behind the leadership of Samson, the strongest man in the Bible, the people were reluctant to resist. Look at verse 11 once again. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Here we see that Judah was willing to turn Samson over to the enemy rather than join him in fighting the enemy. So Samson, for the most part, had to go it alone. And unfortunately, Samson's exploits against the Philistines were not always from the highest motives. We see revenge and pride and self-glory in the life of Samson. Nevertheless, God did use Samson to break down the overwhelming power of the Philistines. We could say that Samson's victories over the Philistines paved the way for King David's later complete conquest of the Philistines. Let's move now to our doctrinal teaching points. Doctrinal point number one. Ungodly anger and revenge bring about great destruction. Ungodly anger and revenge bring about great destruction. We saw in chapter 14 that Samson had disobeyed God's law and married an unbelieving pagan Philistine woman. Now here in chapter 15, we see that this disobedience results in further wrongdoing, uncontrolled anger and revenge. In verse 1, we see that Samson comes down to the land of the Philistines to visit his wife. Remember, he had left her because she had betrayed him. He brings a young goat with him as a makeup gift. This would be like bringing a dozen roses today, something like that. But Samson finds out that his wife was given to the best man. Well, you can imagine how mad Samson is about this. Who got Samson into this mess anyway? Samson got himself into this predicament because he disobeyed the Lord. Do you see the lesson here? There's always bad fallout to disobedience. But that's not our main lesson here, as we see. Our main lesson is ungodly anger and revenge bring about great destruction. In his uncontrolled anger, Samson took revenge by catching 300 foxes or jackals and tying their tails together, along with torches. Now, that's quite a feat, isn't it? How long would it take you to catch 300 foxes or jackals, take them tail to tail, 150 pair now, tie the tails together with a torch in the knot? Then Samson lit the torches and released these poor animals into the fields, and there was great destruction. The grain for food was destroyed, along with the vineyards and olive groves. What destruction? This was the food of the land, the land that God had given to Israel. You know, God's method of removing the enemy from the land never included destroying the food of the land. This wanton destruction on the part of Samson was not of God. After the Philistines reacted and burned Samson's wife and father-in-law, Samson took further revenge and viciously slaughtered many of the Philistines. Now, you might say this was good. But notice we never read in this section that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. 
Samson was doing this with uncontrolled anger and ungodly revenge. This was done in the name of Samson, not in the name of the Lord. Romans 12:19 says, never take your own revenge. We leave vengeance to the Lord. We must do God's work in God's way. Ungodly anger and revenge are not the way to fight the enemy. Illustration. Most of you know that I conduct Holy Land tours during the summer. Well, these tours to Israel are not only a great learning experience, but they can be a great testimony to the unbelieving Jewish people that we meet, especially the guides and hotel personnel in Israel. But sometimes I will have some angry tourists along with me. They get angry with the airlines, or they get angry with the bus driver, or they get angry with the hotel managers, and they make it very unpleasant for everyone. Not only are they a terrible testimony, but they are very destructive in many ways as they try to get back and get even. This is certainly not the way to witness to the unbelieving community, is it? As Samson was not a good witness to the unbelieving community because of ungodly anger and revenge leading to destruction, so today many Christians are not very good witnesses, are not very good testimonies. You see the lesson? Ungodly anger and revenge bring about great destruction. Doctrinal point number two. Godly faith and courage bring about great victory. Godly faith and courage bring about great victory. You know, I see a great change in Samson's attitude as we move into the second half of the chapter. In verse 8, we see that Samson is hiding out in the hills. The men of Judah come to him, and Samson agrees to give himself up to the Philistines. Now, the men of Judah at this point should have been ashamed of themselves for not joining Samson and fighting the Philistines. But for Samson, this was certainly an act of courage and faith. He let himself be bound by ropes and delivered into the hands of the Philistines? Why? Because Samson knew by faith that God could deliver him. Remember, we know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, that Samson was a man of faith. And God did deliver Samson. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Samson when he was reacting with ungodly anger and revenge. Verse 7, but now when Samson is acting with faith and courage, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and there is great victory. What a difference. What about us? Is our Christian lifestyle characterized by ungodly anger and revenge? or by godly faith and courage. Godly faith and courage bring about great victory. What about practical application? If you have a physical need, pray about it. If you have a physical need, pray about it. At the end of this chapter, we see that Samson was extremely thirsty after his battle with the Philistines. So what did he do? He asked God to meet that physical need. Verse 18. And God did meet that physical need in a most miraculous way. Verse 19, once again. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. 
You know, it's interesting that God did not meet that physical need until Samson prayed about it. Some Christians talk to everyone else about their physical needs and problems, but they don't talk to the Lord about it. Now, it is wrong to demand that God meet our physical needs. And it's wrong to only pray about our physical needs and not pray about our spiritual needs. And it's wrong to confuse our physical wants with our physical needs. I mean, I would like my body to be able to ski when I'm 80 years old. That's a physical want. But that's not high on my prayer list. Not right now, anyway. That's not high on my prayer list. Because it's not a physical need. But I do pray that God would grant me the physical health and the physical strength that I need to carry on the ministries that he's given me. This is biblical praying. And I think it's important because if our basic physical needs are not being met, it can lead to spiritual depression and even vulnerability to spiritual attack. We could go off on another tangent here about Elijah. Remember when Elijah was exhausted running away from Queen Jezebel, very depressed and so forth. What did God do first before he began to restore Elijah spiritually? He took care of his physical needs. He fed him and gave him water and so forth. So if you have a physical need, pray about it. Some of you here this morning may have certain physical needs. Bring those needs before the Lord. If you have a physical need, pray about it. 